Ezekiel 28, 1 to 19. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. But you are a man, not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. Are you wiser than Daniel? Is no secret hidden from you? By your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. By your great skill in trading, you have increased your wealth. And because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because you think you are wise, as wise as a god, I'm going to bring you foreigners against you with the most ruthless of nations. They will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. They will bring you down in the pit and you will die a violent death in the heart of the seas. Will you then say, I am a god in the presence of those who kill you? You will be but a man not a god, in the hands of those who slay you. You will die the death of the uncircumcised at the hands of foreigners. I have spoken, declares the Sovereign Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz and emerald, chrysolite, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and the mountings were made of gold on the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the days you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made fire come from you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you were appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end, and it will be no more. Can you hear me? Great, because obviously this is a fire and brimstone, so the lower it is, the better. <laughs> no, it's not good. It's God's word. We have to look at it, and uh, there is definitely a word for us today and here. Um, and this is Ezekiel. Uh, glory ravaged, but then the promise of glory revealed. Um, 
just remember where I am. So, we have a precarious world. We live in a world that it is difficult to figure out what is happening. In our nation, the uncertainty within our nation, and I'm not going to mention any B words, um, but, you know, we're sick to the back teeth, and, and not only that, you know, there, there is uncertainty, there is fear, there is, there is all of that. So it's never easy to interpret what is going on in, in the world. But the question is, have we been here before? Is this just, you know, it's the same thing, same world, but different clothes on, and in some way history just repeats itself? Or is there purpose behind events? Are we going somewhere? Our 24 uh, our news reports just reveal lots. The natural disasters, the pain, the sickness, war, greed, disasters, all of these things are presented to us. And it looks like the world is heading into, you know, spinning out of control into something that we can't come back from. I've been watching a series called Americans on uh, Amazon, and it's all about Russian spies in America in the seventh, not in the 80s. And obviously, during the 80s, on the TV, you had adverts telling the people what to do if there was a nuclear fallout. I remember those when I was a kid, and I'm sure the majority of people here remember those as well. Is it all going to go to the dogs? And how are we as Christians to discern just what is going on, not only in the world at large, large but our nation and our communities? And how might Ezekiel 28 verses 1 and 19 that Roy affectionately uh, called hellfire and brimstone, what has that got to speak into our situation? So there's lots of application um, for today. So what's the, the story of the city of Tyre, which we've come uh, to here? A prophecy against the king of Tyre. Well, from Ezekiel 4 until 24, God was dealing with the sin of his people. That's why we did 20 chapters in the one. But then we come on to this part, which is from Ezekiel 25 through to 32, where God... Uh, it turns his attention now to, I think it's seven city-states around about Israel who have had a, 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 lot, a long history with Israel, and he's turning his attention towards their sin. So he, he judges his own people first of all, and then he, he looks out. And we, and here in Ezekiel 28, this is a section where there's three parts, I think if I'm right, three chapters. Yeah, 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 27. 26, 27, 28, directed towards the, the city, this fortress city called uh, Tyre. And, and in chapter 26, I put this up here, I'd like us to read it. Not read out loud, but I'd, I'd like us just to read it. This is typical of the, the accusation. The, oh, there we are. This is what the Lord says to this city, summarizing three chapters. But this is what the Lord says to this city. In Ezekiel 26, in the 11th month of the 12th year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, because Tyre has said of Jerusalem, aha, the gate to the nations is broken and its doors have swung open to me. Now that she lies in ruins, I will prosper. 
Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you. Like the sea casting up its waves, they will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down her towers. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Out in the sea, she will become a place to spread fishing nets. For I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. She will become plunder for the nations and her settlements on the mainland will be ravaged by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. From the north, I am going to bring it against Tyre, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots, with horsemen and a great army. Tyre was one of these major cities of Phoenicia, an ancient enemy of Israel, of whom they never were conquered by Israel or Judah, never in their history. The city itself um, was an island. If I get a wee, I have got a wee thing here. Ah, there we are. So there's Tyre here. So there was fortifications here, but out here in the Mediterranean Sea, about 600 yards into the sea, was a city fortress with a, a port in its north and its, its south ends, and it was able to repel all attacks. People would just disappear into the fortress city and be safe. And during the times of David and Saul, they never ever conquered Tyre. And in fact, there were good relationships between Israel and Tyre back in those days when Israel was its grandest. And in fact, it's recorded that the king of Tyre, a different king, sent to, to David and Solomon men, ships, and supplies for the building of Solomon's temple. It was a, a focal place for trade. It was a great place for trade because they were Phoenicians. They knew the sea, so they could have access to the Mediterranean and sail way into the west far and bring back lots of goods that were just not available in the Middle East that made them prosper, incredibly prosperous and wealthy. And, and you can imagine them to be the Amazon of today and trading in everything, not paying their taxes where they should pay their taxes maybe, but really wealthy and prosperous. And in chapter 16 tells us that when Jerusalem fell, what have I got up there? Ah, yeah, yeah. When Jerusalem, so that, that's how it was here, and we'll come to all of this in a second, but that's what it was like, 600 yards off of the mainland, that's what it's like today, it's now a peninsula. Uh, so in chapter 16, it tells us that Jerusalem fell, God's judgment against the false prophets, against the people of Israel for their sin, um, the Babylonians uh, had, had accomplished this, and had taken away God's people in a few waves uh, down to be refugees in Babylon. So Tyre thought, this is the, the, the great opportunity. I'm going to become more wealthy. My competitor is gone. I'm just going to move in. And as I move in, I'll take all the resources. I'll set up all the trading routes that they once had. And I will become even more prosperous. I'll plunder and I'll control it. And because of that, because of that desire to exploit someone's misfortune, God says, my judgment and my wrath are coming against you. We read that in chapter 26. Tyre would be stripped of its island sanctuary into the sea, becoming a place where fishermen lay their nets to dry. Furthermore, God decreed that the Babylonians, as we read, Nebuchadnezzar would come and would besiege and would subjugate them. Nebuchadnezzar 
set his forces against them for 13 years, and yet they still were not completely and utterly uh, controlled because they had this little island, this wee moat between themselves and their enemies. And yet the conquest, although it didn't completely destroy Tyre, it set them up for when Alexander the Great came in 332 BC. And he did that. He set up this wee cause head. He used bricks from the city, from all that was destroyed in the city. They, they brought it and they made it here. And, and basically, he used that to bring across all of his uh, weapons of war, his weapons of siege, and they conquered the city of Tyre. And that's it today. And I believe it is a place where there is nothing. It is desolate. Fishermen do lay their nets there. They do set off from there. But, you know, it's here is where the modern city of, uh, I think it's the sixth largest city or the fourth largest city in Lebanon. That is the story of, of Tyre. Now, what do we come to here now we know a wee bit of history we know who who it is we know where it is we know a little bit of what happened and why they went against god's people and that they just saw an opportunity and they thought we're quids in we're going to go for this chapter 28 focuses in on the king of tyre who ruled over this great trading nation what we have read is split into two parts we've got part uh, one to ten and we've got part 11 to 19. At the beginning of each part, you see something quite similar. Verses 1 and verse 11, where the Lord speaks. He says to Ezekiel, son of man, say to the rule of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And then yet again, he says in verse 11, the, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament a poet, a poem concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. So in other words, this prophecy which comes through quite a crazy, misunderstood prophet down in a refugee camp um, at the Kebar River in Babylon, this is what the Lord is saying through him. I have spoken, this will happen. And when the Lord speaks, it will take place. And that is what is going on here. So the first thing is very simple to see right away is that Ezekiel is God's uh, mouthpiece. He's speaking in behalf of the Lord. But interestingly, this prophecy wasn't put in a parchment and taken up to the, the, the king of Tyre, this great prince. It was given to God's people in Babylon. It was spoken to them for a reason, not to those who it was going to happen to. And what was he saying to them? Well, he was saying this, although I have judged you, my people, I have judged you because you've forgotten the promises you made to me in the heart of the promised land between those two mountains. You've forgotten the promises, and so I'm going to leave you to your sin. I'm going to be actively involved in taking you into captivity, so that you will have a change of heart. So God has said that already. But he's also saying to them, but don't forget, I will also judge those nations who come against you. Those nations who say, ha ha, where is their God? Yahweh has been defeated. Remember, God is very precious in regards to the fame of his name. 
And these nation states are laughing, joking. And you actually see that today in the vast majority of the Middle East. Someone showed me a map just this week of the Arab states in the Middle East, and it shows you Israel. Now, Israel is a, a, a secular state, but it shows you this nation of Israel, red, tiny, 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 and a vast green of the Arab nations. And every single one of them, probably, I'm, I'm right saying that, every single one of them are saying, we look forward to the day where we can wipe Israel, the infidels, off the face of the earth. It was such back then also. And the Lord says, because of their sin, I am coming against them also. Can I say that that was bringing hope to those people who were in captivity? By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and remembered Zion and we wept. Because God was saying, I've not forgotten you and I've not forgotten those who have came against you. And I will repay them for what they have done to you. But you must change your heart and come back to me. So there was hope in the fact that God was going to vindicate Israel by coming against their enemies also. <clears throat> and when God speaks, like it says in verse 10, <clears throat> I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord, it's as good as done. So what is the, the king of Tyre? There we are. So what is the king of Tyre judged over? Well, he's judged because of his wealth, because of his power, and because, because of his influence in the area. In verse 2 to verse 5, we read that pride brings judgment on the king of Tyre. He's proud, and he thinks he's a god sitting on a throne in the heart of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, he has great wisdom, God says, as great as Daniel, who is down in Babylon. And this great wisdom has enabled him to, great, uh, to gain increasing wealth. And as a result, verse 5, he is puffed up. Wealth is not a bad thing. Power is not a bad thing. Influence is not a bad thing. But where your treasure is, where your heart is, that is where you will go with those things. And when it comes to the king of Tyre, it brought him low and to the attention of the sovereign Lord. And although the king of Tyre thought, I'm a god, Ezekiel is the mouthpiece of God, says, no, you are only a man. And as a result, judgment is coming and you will die the death of the uncircumcised at the hands of the foreigners. And what God dies, what God dies and fades away, only that God which was no God at all. And all sorts of ideologies and isms rise and fall. We're just coming out, or maybe we're still in, the, the God of postmodernism that says there is no absolute truth except the absolute truth that there is no absolute truth, which if you follow the logic, there's no logic whatsoever. And there will come a time when a generation or two to come will look back and say, that was no ideology, that was no thing to follow at all. I remember at Glasgow Bible College where I did my first degree, and 
the lecturers would say, the way we think today in a hundred years' time, the church will look back on us and think, did they really think that way? And I used to wonder what they meant. And I can see little traces of it just now as a lot of the church are coming in line with the powerful God of the age that says there is no truth. And there is a danger there. There is a danger there also in the church that we are become puffed up and say, we have the truth, we have the truth, we have the truth, rather than live in the truth. Because if you live in the truth, you need not fear wealth, power, and influence. Because your treasure, your first love is the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is Savior and Lord. There's a warning to us all in there. And there's hope that that which drives our culture today will not last. It will fade away. But the word of the Lord lasts forever and ever. Section 11 through 19 is this poetic lament to the king of Tyre. Others see in here a reference to Satan from verses 11 through to 19 as being some sort of prophetic utterance or uh, of what happened before the fall. I don't see it that way. Although I know that who the evil one is. And if this does speak of the evil one, so be it. And yet it was a, a prophetic word given from the Lord through Ezekiel to the king of Tyre. A man in history who set himself above God's people and Yahweh, the living God. So I'm taking this to be directed to the king of Tyre. And without a doubt, Ezekiel's uh, listeners, the original hearers in Babylon would have heard many references to creation, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, of the, the beauty at the beginning. Uh, so the creation as it was and should always have been, and then the fall where mankind decided that we desire to be in the center of our life, not the will of the Lord. And you see here that the king of Tyre is described in verse 11 as a model of perfection and beauty. And in verse 12, as it were, he was so beautiful. It was like he was in Eden, the garden of God, adorned with every precious stone. Beautiful, perfect. And in our Christian worldview, we understand the fall, the, the creation like that. 200 million Orthodox Christians see it slightly differently, but I'll stick to the West and just say as, as people in the Latin West, we believe that we were created at the beginning, God created man and woman, and it was very good. And then we decided to go our own way. But even at that point, it was perfect. So whether it's our worst Demons that we can ever imagine, like Hitler or Stalin or Saddam Hussein or whoever you want to throw in there. At the beginning, God made them fearfully and wonderfully. At the beginning, God made them precious and beautiful. And because of the fall and because of environment and because of choices, they went their own way. The scripture from Isaiah applies to them as much as it does to us. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. Are people born evil? I don't know if I believe that. 
but certainly environment choices, experiences, original sin, all shape and mould us and all draw us away. Even today, we're prone to leave the God we love. So here, Ezekiel emphasizes that God created the king of Tyre in verse 15, blameless, before his heart was corrupted by wealth, power, and influence. And Ezekiel describes how the king of Tyre was to be driven out and to be made, in verse 17, a spectacle. And in verse 18, reduced to ashes in the sight of all who were watching. And finally, in verse 19, and all the nations who knew you, past tense, are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. So what? What's this? Where are we going with this? Well, we believe God is our creator. We believe that God desires relationship with us. We believe that God calls us to repent and to know forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But does God still hold peoples and nations to account today? If God in his sovereign power acts against pride, power, influence, as he did in Ezekiel 28 and before, what are the implications for us today? See, I believe God is sovereign in all of history. He isn't some sort of local deity who was very active 2,000 plus years ago and suddenly he's went to sleep or his influence is waned. You'll see this sometimes in children's animations where people forget about uh, the bunny rabbit, Easter bunny, people forget about Jack Frost and Santa Claus and all of these and they forget about them and so they are lost to memory. And because they don't believe they become small until they disappear altogether. That is not the Lord God. He is not some local, he is not the God just of the Israelites. He is the creator God, the God Almighty. And he will compete with no one. What he says happens, there is none like him. And even today, we may not understand it, but he shakes the nations. The British Empire, he shakes the British Empire. Who could have imagined 200 years ago that the British Empire would be as it is today? Who could have imagined the possibility that North and South Korea having talks, maybe it's precarious, but having talks, and there'll be a whole bunch of loyalists in the north of Ireland who are appalled at the idea of a united Ireland. And yet, it's being spoken of again. Do you remember the heights in the 70s of the Troubles? I grew up in that. My life was born into that. And I would never have imagined. God is shaking the nations. We may not understand it, but we hold to that. Does that mean we're all puppets on a string? You know? Does it mean that God guides and shapes every piece of legislation, decision-making, etc.? It certainly doesn't mean that we've got no freedom. It doesn't mean that we don't have a choice. It doesn't amount to some sort of fatalism in believing that God is sovereign and actively involves in bringing about his will. It isn't a fait accompli that we will be judged. It isn't a fait accompli even that we will be blessed. 
There is a choice in that. There is even a choice to receive a blessing from the Lord. We encourage you every month to come forward to prayer, for prayer and receive a blessing from the Lord. Scripture speaks time and again about human freedom and human responsibilities. Take as an example, James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers. I am a teacher in the, in the church. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I have got huge responsibilities before the Lord. Before the church meeting, of course. But before the Lord. Remember when George W. Bush said something like that? I will give an account to the Lord Almighty. He's a Christian. You may not agree with his policies, but he's a Christian and it's a good theology. And the British press suddenly went mental. Oh no, a president who believes in some airy-fairy God. But you also will give an account in Luke 12. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Do you know what? This is Jesus saying this, meek and mild. <laughs> but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with fewer blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked of. And we in the church in Scotland have been given incredible freedom, incredible choices, and much will be required of us. Yet here in Ezekiel and elsewhere in Scripture, God rules sovereignly over nations and peoples, and His will shall be done. It shall come to pass in the fullness of time. And what is the purpose of God? Well, a phrase here in Ezekiel appears time and time and time again. It first appears, that I could see anyway, in Ezekiel 25 uh, in verse 7. And God says, I will destroy you and you will know that I am the Lord. Horrible image to have as your last image. Horrible thought to have as your last thought there is a living God, and I am destroyed by him. And then regarding the, the city of Tyre in Ezekiel 26, 5 and 6. She will become plunder for the nations, and her settlements on the mainland will be ravaged by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Again, because of judgment, they'll know that the Lord is who he says he is. I believe God wants to be known by the nations. I believe that he wants them to know that he is the true and living God. And yet he is a personal God. He is intimate. By his spirit, he is here. And through Christ, we enter the glories and give him praise. And when it comes to Israel, God chose them not because they were great, because he was generous. And he chose them to be a, a light to the nations, ambassadors, drawing the nations towards God, to the holy mountain, to recognize who God is 
and to be in personal relationship with him. And in Ezekiel 28 and 26, we read this in regards to Israel, who have been in exile, and the, and the, and the Lord is with them in exile because he's a personal God. And we read this, they will live there in safety and will build houses and plant vineyards and they will live in safety when I inflict punishment on all their neighbors who maligned them. Then they will know that I am their God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So, yeah, hellfire and brimstone, judgment, sovereignty, choices, freedom, all of these things uh, are, are here presented in Ezekiel 28. Pride, what we do with wealth, what we do with power, what we do with influence, where our heart is, where our, our treasure is. And we may struggle uh, with uh, judgment, we may struggle with God's sovereign will and much more prefer grace upon grace and freedom. And yet God's judgment is linked with his desire to be known. It's, it's linked with salvation. He desires to save. And at the time of Ezekiel, this was bound up with, with Israel. And although uh, he was exclusively the, the, the God of Israel, he was inclusive in welcoming all the nations in. And it has not changed. Israel were always to be the light to the nations. And they were to live in such a way that foreigners would seek the living God through the witness. And is this any different today as I come to a conclusion here? There is only one God. He is the true and living God. If your God is small, if you can manipulate your God, if you can bring your God out on a Sunday, or if you can ignore him when he says, forgive your enemies, then he is not the true and loving God. If you can curse and swear and fantasize in a way that you would, you would never do in the presence of your mum and dad, and you think that's okay, then there's something with your heart that needs to be transplanted. The Lord God is the Lord God who calls us to follow Him. And the Lord God is the one who will judge us accordingly. And He will bless, and He will guide, and He will be patient, but He will not change. Matthew 5, 15 to 17, you know this well. You are the light of the world, dear church. You are a town built on a hill, whether it be Kirkmichael, Kinlachranach, whether it be Pitlochry or Logirate. You're built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house, to the nations. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God's will will come to pass. It might not happen overnight, but it will be done. In regards to Ezekiel's prophecy and regarding the king of Tyre, it took over 250 years for that city to be completely decimated 
When Alexander the Great came to call, God's word is reliable. He will do what he says he will do. He will bring low the proud. He will judge the nations because of their opposition to him. They desire their ways and not the Lord's ways. And he will continue to do this until his purpose is, has been complete. One way or another, whether it's with a hard heart or whether it's a soft heart. In Romans 14, we hear, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. Full stop. God does not change. He is who he has always been, the great I am. And in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom all he made was and through him the universe was made. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is our God. So from Ezekiel 28, we can identify that God's purposes are to be known. That we need salvation from our wandering heart. We are made fearfully and wonderfully made, but we go our own ways. His timing is perfect. Be patient. If you are an exile in Babylon and desire to be back where you believe God wants you to be, be patient. The Lord is with you in exile. His will will be done. Look and and look for discernment in the nations. He's judging. He is shaping. He's bringing about his plans. They will come to pass. And we are called to be like Ezekiel, watchmen. A light to the nations, a city and a hill, drawing all peoples, the French, the Chinese, the English, the Scottish. Drawing all peoples, to acknowledge and to know the Lord their God until he returns. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.